0: Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. This week we have a solo episode that I originally recorded through Facebook Live in the Trail and Alter Running Nutrition Group, and we'll be talking about meal timing. If you're not familiar with meal timing, it is basically when to eat food or certain types of food so that you can get the most out of what you're eating. And while it's not the most important thing when it comes to nutrition, that would be getting the right amount of food and the right types of food, it can be super helpful, especially if you're really busy. So if you want to know when to eat things like proteins and fats and carbohydrates and how to fuel and recover from your workouts, this is probably going to be a really helpful episode for you. I hope you get something out of it, and if you do, all I ask is that you please share it with somebody or take two seconds to like pump that five-star button or like give us a rating. It really helps. I make this podcast so more people can get more quality, free information about running, ultra running, and training. So if you share it with someone else, I'd really appreciate it. All right, let's get to the episode. Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. We are live. So today, definitely want to talk about meal timing for performance. But first, I've been having kind of a weird few weeks, and Part of that comes down to me struggling pretty off and on for much of my adult life with depression. And I should probably talk about this more. I'm going to be very honest here. It's been a few, I don't know, rough few months um, or years. I don't really even know how long because like depression is hard. And it's hard for a bunch of reasons. Not least of which is when I'm depressed, the last thing that I ever want to do is the stuff that makes me less depressed. And I can't say that's true for everyone. I can only talk about my own experience, but everyone I've talked to who struggles with depression, that seems to be true for. You just kind of want to hide and like not talk to other people and not really do your job and not really be active. Kind of want to lay on the floor and like wallow in depression a lot of the time. And your brain will tell you things like you suck, it's like your favorite thing. It's its favorite thing in the world. And it's way meaner about it than that, right? But my, my depression brain loves to point out everything that I've ever done wrong in my entire life, dating all the way back to like some of my earliest memories at age three or four. And it doesn't really matter whether you know it's true or not. It's just like a hole that you're in and it's hard to escape. And it truly feels like you're trying to just dig yourself out which is not particularly effective. It's not a great way to get out of a hole. It is much easier to like reach your hand up and ask for help to get out of the hole. But instead, you just keep digging. And <laughs> you tend to make it deeper before you somehow like cave the walls in enough that you can like, yank yourself out of the problem. So that's depression. And I call it a hole because that's what it feels like. I can't even tell it's coming at this point. I've been dealing with this feeling since I was like 11, 12, maybe, I don't know. Uh, I can always tell a few days out when it's gonna hit. And then I just gotta like watch myself to turn turn into depressed will for a while. And I've gotten a lot better with dealing with it. Um, I think this is actually one of the many reasons I spend so much time training, because most of the time it doesn't really matter how bad I feel when I'm out there in the mountains or deadlifting a lot of weight or climbing some stupid vertical surface that may or may not be made of real rock. Thoughts just disappear for a little while. Good ones, bad ones, all of them. It's just better. And I don't actually work out because like hate myself or whatever it's not a form of punishment. It's just better mental space. So if you are ever struggle with any of this stuff, I just know it's kind of hard to talk about. Because whenever I talk about depression, I have to think about other people worrying about things like suicide or intentionally harming myself or any of that shit, which I will tell you is not going to happen. It's not that I haven't thought about it. It is like keyly tied most of the time to depression. The world is hard and scary, and I don't understand a lot of it, but I just wouldn't do that. At the very least, I wouldn't do that while I have people in my life who would be ruined by that. So... I think we should talk about this topic a lot more. Um, Jeremy Sawinski and I, like, talked about it a little bit in the most recent episode of the podcast. If you have not listened to that yet, you probably should. It is one of the, like, better conversations I've had in a while. And we should be more open about, like, mental health stuff. Because one of the most insidious things about mental health stuff, including depression and anxiety and all this stuff, is that you just feel lonely like all the time, and even when you're surrounded by people, you still feel lonely. It's very isolating. So I don't want to burden other people with having to worry about me, so I just don't talk about it, and I think a lot of people are there, which makes the isolation worse. So if you are struggling with depression, talk to me about it. That is fine, and I'm happy to talk to you about it. I can't say I'll be particularly helpful, and I'm sure as hell not a therapist. Um, but I'll listen to you, for sure. That said, let's talk about meal timing information. First, meal timing is so secondary to overall total calories and macros and nutrition. If you're not eating enough, you will not recover. Full stop. You can have the most perfect eating schedule with the most perfect supplement regimen, with the like perfect sleep schedule. And if you are under-consuming on basics like calories and macros and micronutrients, you have no chance, really, of recovering. And it's not rocket science. You can think about it a lot like your car. Imagine calories as your gas in your gas tank. And this will not be a perfect analogy, but bear with me. Imagine your gas gauge doesn't work, which is actually true for a lot of us, because most of us have no idea how many calories we actually need. It doesn't matter if you, you know, think your watch tells you. It does not. It changes daily. We can ballpark it, but it's kind of hard. And then we have access to food that completely distorts our signals of hunger. So we're pretty screwed on this front, realistically. So car equals body, gas equals calories, and we have no gas gauge. Now, imagine your car gets like 10 miles to the gallon, which mine basically does because I drive a 95 forerunner. It drains gas. So If I'm getting 10 miles to the gallon, and every 11 miles, I put in a gallon of gas, it'll run just fine for a while, in fact, a pretty long while. But eventually, I'm going to run out of gas, and I'm just not completely topping it off. So if you're trying to lose like 100 pounds of fat, this is actually a pretty great strategy. It's going to be slow and consistent calorie deficit. It won't be exceptionally fast, but you'll get there. You won't suffer too much in the process. you will actually probably develop some very, like, sustainable habits along the way. But if it is an objectively, like, poor strategy as an athlete, because you're just going to end up, like, digging yourself into the hole. So if I'm going for, like, the next six weeks, and I'm spending as much time, like, training someone who might get paid for other sports, right? Cause I'm like coming to a peak before a 50 miler, like that peak is probably going to involve like a 10 hour training week at some point, 15, maybe depending how much time I have all for the privilege of running really far in the desert. And if I'm trying to like keep that engine topped off so I can perform like an athlete and I'm only putting in <laughs> 10 miles, like if I'm only putting in a gallon for 11 miles I go, it's not going to work. And I'll think it's working for a while, and then all of a sudden the car's going to sputter and die. And the sputtering dying is like you getting sidelined due to sickness or injuries. And that is exactly what I did for so many years. I underate, and just a little bit though, um, and I was injured and sick a lot. So you need to eat enough food, you need to fully top off your gas tank at all times. And that might mean you need to go overboard a little bit. That You have to go until it clicks every time. That food has to be at least halfway decent quality as well. It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to put like 91 octane in it, but you should put like, you know, not 70, the one they don't sell because it doesn't work. So on my last long run day, like 4,000 calories, and it wasn't all from like meat and fruit and vegetables and potatoes. There was pizza involved and some sugar Uh, but I definitely had a few cups of plants in there, and a bunch of fiber and micronutrients and all sorts of stuff, and I know this because I'm tracking my food, because if I don't, I don't eat enough. I don't eat enough protein. I don't eat enough fiber, and I know better, but I just don't get there, because I'm an imperfect human with a very complicated, long dietary history, and I can fairly easily put down like 3,000 calories in a meal, (laughs) and that makes it complicated. I'm still injured a lot less than I used to be. Uh, Some of that's because I train more intelligently, but a lot of that comes down to the fact that I'm eating enough and I just have more to pull from, so I'm not getting hurt. And when I did get hurt, I repaired a lot faster than I used to, right? So all of this is to like give part of a large caveat where if you cannot design your perfect meal timing schedule due to some, like, pretty nitpicky things I'm about to tell you, just get enough food. Like, the worst thing would be, worst thing you could do would be, say, I can't get a post-workout meal directly after a workout, so I'm just not going to eat for 8 to 12 hours. That is the worst reaction to that. And a lot of athletes, a lot of us, have this, like, all-or-nothing mentality. And it goes very well a lot of the time in training because we push ourselves very hard. <laughs> Should we, decide, we choose to run 100 miles for fun, right? A lot of people listening to this. So when it comes to... Oh, and then we take full days off. So when it comes to food, that mentality is going to mess you up if you get really obsessed with things like meal timing. Total food first. Eat enough. Eat enough of the right stuff then eat enough of the right stuff at the right time. Priorities. So let's get into some meal timing stuff. When a lot of people think of meal timing, we'll often like talk about intermittent fasting, which is really not what we're talking about today. I'm going to hit it real fast, like really fast. It means so many different things that it's basically meaningless at this point. I did a form of that when I originally lost a bunch of weight at the age of 21, 20, 21, 21. And it kind of messed me up. I don't have a food off switch. I can eat everything. This was true before the intermittent fat. This was true before like the one meal a day diet. I've put pretty easily down three to 4,000 calories in a sitting with not a lot of issue. And if I can do that before you do it like the warrior diet, then it's going to cause further problems. Tell someone that has binging tendencies that this is the way to be healthy and they're going to double down on it because we just love to feel, like feel supported. Now, is not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about athletic strategies to improve things, okay? Right? Because intermittent fasting is not magic. It's not a great diet for athletes. It is mostly a, like, restrictive diet. No restrictive diet is great for athletes. Uh, caloric restriction can be pretty good for longevity. It is terrible for performance. So... Let's see what we're talking about in terms of, like, athletically minded meal or nutrient timing. First, how many meals should you eat a day, right? That might be a pretty good place to start if we're talking about something called meal timing, are often referred to as meal timing. Biggest thing is how many times, like, can you eat a day? What fits in your schedule? Consistency is by far... The most important thing, when it comes from, like, training or weight loss or performance or food or whatever, consistency matters most. You need to not regularly skip these meals. So if we have time for two foundational meals a day, then great. If you have time for two, but you tell yourself you're going to get four, then... You're going to underread in those two probably, and you're going to feel bad about yourself for not getting in four. So we need to very realistically assess what our day looks like. We hit a very I don't know fine line as ultra runners. As I was saying, like even recreational ultra runners often train as much as some like sponsored athletes in other sports, and as such, like we need to act like it. I forgot to eat is not a great excuse here. Set an alarm if you need to. Eat different foods. When I drove a snowcat, I operated that thing for eight to nine hours straight, only stopping very briefly to pee. And I also never trained in the winters. If I did, I would have had to figure it out. If you can't take a break at work, then you get something portable, like, I don't know, beef jerky, yogurts, anything you can eat with one hand. Uh, somebody I used to know like would pick... Vegetables out of a lunchbox and some like pre sliced lunch meat, that kind of stuff. Now, I forgot it's just not really a great answer for an athlete for why you haven't eaten, why you're not eating food. My boss is a dickhead, is like a whole different thing with a very different answer, but at the very least, we might need to like make the effort. Pack the food, set the alarm. So if your boss is literally like beating you, preventing you from eating, that's more of an issue for like OSHA. Uh, this is not the, like, sh- Triangle Shirtwaist Factory in 1911, where we're locking people in. It's illegal. So as someone who wasn't wasn't the best supervisor in my first year as an idiot 28-year-old, I would say talk to people, uh, see what see what space you have, and at the very least, like, just bring some food with you. Eat. Like, make it work. Now, we also have our food... Once we figured out our meals... We can also add some snacks, like these are not the only times you need to eat throughout your day. And this is where like some of these portable things might come in handy. Um, but one of our biggest focuses as an athlete should be your food around training. So first, because it comes first in the timeline, would be pre-training. Carbs and maybe some protein. About 90 to minutes to an hour and a half before you work out. Really depends what kind of carbs and what kind of workout and all that kind of stuff, right? So it can include some protein, but it's not gonna do a whole lot unless you're doing a very long effort. We're talking like two hours, which some people listening to this might, you know, watching this might fall into that category. I am gonna be falling into that category for the next multiple weeks. So that's you. Then we might look at some protein or 10 to 15 grams of, like, some BCAAs um, because it will help expedite recovery a little bit and will help slow down fatigue. Those are actually different mechanisms, but it helps with both of those. And this is why you will sometimes see BCAAs in endurance products because they reduce fatigue and mildly expedite recovery. But most of those products do not have enough for them to be useful. You need something like 10 to 15 grams, whereas a lot of these like intra workout powders will have like one to three, not nearly enough. So keep that in mind if this is a strategy you want to use. But again, we're looking for about an hour and a half to two hours out, some carbohydrates. If you're using something more highly digestible, fine. But if we're looking at like whole foods, like oatmeal or fruit or something, it's going to be farther out. Now what if you train first thing in the morning? The last thing like we should do is wake up even earlier to get food in. If you wake up at 5 to train, waking up at 3 a.m. to get food in so you can train at 5 is insanity. So your dinner becomes the large part of your pre-workout meal. Most of the carbs you ate at dinner will still be in your muscles as glycogen. Your liver glycogen will be depleted, but unless you did a training session after dinner, your muscles will still be good to go. And then if you want to like top something off, then have like a banana or a you know, honey stinger or a shake or something. As you head out the door, a client of mine wakes up at five and is running by five ten every day. He slams a banana and a honey stinger into his face and gets out the door. And then takes the first one to two miles pretty easy as warm-up miles, as most of us should anyway, and does fine. And then depending on your training, last part is you might not need it. Going for a 30 to 60 minute easy run, then you probably just don't need to eat before that. And I know some people don't like that because of the entire tirade I went on in the beginning about eating enough. As athletes in this sport, we often don't eat enough, so anytime we tell people they don't have to eat, doesn't sound great. But you do not have to fuel every workout if they are, like, slow, short, and easy. If you're working out for more than 60 minutes, you should fuel it. Intensity work, speed work sessions, fuel it. Long runs, absolutely. But we do not need to create a ton of stress over a pre-workout meal for something that's 45 minutes long at a pace that you could hold a phone conversation with and the other person might not even know you're running, right? That said, you do need to get a good post-workout meal or post-workout, I don't know, meal thing, snack, whatever you wanna call it in. Now, no matter what, directly after your workout, or training session rather, not technically like workout from a running perspective, it doesn't need to be your hard workout, it can be anything. So directly after your training session, you want some protein. Endurance work is very catabolic, as in it's breaking down your muscle tissue. You're going for long stretches of time, and your body's just kind of falling apart constantly. So having a good dose of protein, specifically the amino acid leucine, is like key to stop the breakdown. And since a lot of people also don't get enough protein throughout their day, It leverages habit stacking, where we tie a thing we want to do to a thing we're already doing. So if we're definitely doing our training session, getting a good dose of protein in at the end of that training session ties those two together and creates dividends, right? Tying food to one of your training sessions hits multiple benefits. This is doubly important if it's early in your day because we want a good dose of protein in the morning, but I will get back to that in a minute. For now, immediately post-workout, you also want some carbs. Some of this is for glycogen synthesis, or glycogen resynthesis, the storage of sugar, or carbs, or glucose, or whatever you wanna call it, into your muscles. And that takes anywhere from 24 to 48 hours. But it is a little bit faster, one to two hours after your workout. You're also more insulin sensitive. So you get to refuel your muscles without causing some hormonal side effects. Double win. And the other thing is carbs drop cortisol. So if you had a very intense workout or a long workout, whatever's going to like push a bunch of stress on you, your like five-hour long run is super stressful, even if you enjoyed it. Your like three minutes on, three minutes off, five or six hill repeats uh, at VO2 max intensity is super stressful. Even if you like that work, it is stress. So we need to bring it down. We need to regulate our cortisol. Now you could either like take the time to become a Buddhist monk and meditate to such a degree that you can like regulate your heart rate and breathing and (laughs) blood pressure through meditation, or you can eat a cookie, right? You have a toast, you have a cookie, you can do whatever. The toast is faster. So I eat the toast. Now, um, after I don't know, 60 to 90 minutes after you eat your food, you, or after you finish your exercise, you want to have a real meal, like a burrito with some eggs, or Greek yogurt with some berries, or oatmeal and a whey protein shake, or a tofu scramble with whatever food, you know, the stuff we eat daily. Now, after workout, let's talk about, like, dinner or bedtime. Most of us are pretty stressed like, fairly regularly. And if you're kind of a stressed person, nighttime carbohydrates will also help you get ready for bed. They don't just drop your cortisol after exercise, they also drop your cortisol at the end of your day. So, while I will hear from some people to front-load your carbohydrates, as and eat most of them earlier in your day, there is some validity to that from a, like, diabetes management and fat-loss perspective. But, from a athletic perspective and or stressed out human being perspective, pushing them a little more towards dinner tends to help, for a couple reasons. A lot of runners train first thing in the morning, we already talked about that, dinner equals pre-workout meal, and a lot of us are stressed out, and a cup or two of rice with dinner will help calm you down as long as you don't do dumb things after dinner, like Finish your meal and go do a bunch of power cleans, or go do a jiu-jitsu class. Carbs are not magic. They don't prevent cortisol from coming back up. They drop it, but you actually have to take the time to relax after they finish. And then finally, we're looking to try and finish dinner at least two hours before bed. Because if you're digesting, you're not going to get very much deep sleep. I am awful at this. Objectively, terrible. So... Take my advice, Don't probably don't do what I do. I'm working on it. It is, a, it is an effort I make. But the worst part of all of this for me is definitely this. I eat way too close to bed. Now that we're done with exercise timing, let's talk a little bit specifically about protein. I take a very important note to protein in your diet. This is true for everybody. This is true doubly for athletes, but most people should take a... I think we should take an idea uh, from Dr. Gabriel Lyon and call it like muscle-centric medicine. No elderly person has ever wanted less muscle mass. Most people over the age of 65, 70, they fall and break a hip. Over half of those breaks lead to death within less than a year. We want to maintain muscle mass. And... Just like a lot of us know that, you know, cardio exercise is going to have a bunch of muscle mass for when we get older. And this doesn't mean you need to be loaded with muscle when you're younger, but it will atrophy. So if we have a little more when we're younger, and then we try to maintain that, we will do better. So this is not just an athletic thing, this is also a health thing. Now, let me also say some of the stuff I'm about to talk about does not apply to children, right? They have so much growth potential that it just doesn't matter. This is is an adult thing, Um, especially when it comes to the serving size thing, which we'll get to in a second. So there are multiple ways to view protein, and it doesn't have to be that complicated. First, you realistically need more than what the recommended dietary allowance is, especially as an athlete. You shouldn't eat all of your protein at one time, and you also shouldn't slowly dribble it out throughout your day. You should have a few, at least two, maybe up to four, big doses of protein throughout your day. If you dribble it out, you will survive just fine, because your organs and essential tissues will regenerate just fine. And if you're eating enough total protein and you dribble it out, you are very likely have a couple bigger doses so you'll probably still be just fine but your muscle does much better so much better it like requires a large dose at a time to initiate muscle protein synthesis so if you're going to repair the muscles you keep daring down and especially if you're going to build more muscle you should get at least two large doses of protein throughout your day one in the morning and one at night you can do anywhere from like two to five, depending on how big you are and how much muscle you're trying to push. I know someone I work with now weighs 340 pounds. He's a, prof- he's a professional strong man. He does eight. None of us are him, right? So I do four. I'm trying to do four. I'm not great at it. I'm working on it, but I'm getting better. A decent-sized dose is somewhere between like 25 and 40 grams, which is a few eggs or a steak or a block of tofu or most protein shakes. At the very least, let's try and target 30 to 40 grams for breakfast. Because from fasting overnight, you are going to continue to be catabolic. You're going to continue to have that breakdown until you get a good dose of protein. So if you don't eat your first meal until 4 p.m., you're breaking down muscle tissue all day long. This is why that the only actual beneficial form of intermittent fasting when it comes to health is front-loaded. You eat early and you end eating early. Otherwise, it is just caloric restriction by any other name, So we're looking for a good dose of protein early in the day. And if we can get another good dose of protein, call it 40 grams at night, then we put like 20 or whatever we need in the middle of the day and it'll be fine. Um, I am currently trying to get four 40 gram por- portions evenly spread throughout my day. I have a bunch of muscle mass. I'm trying to keep it, I'd like to get more eventually, but it's not really a priority right now. I'm trying to get better at running, but I definitely don't want to like drop off. So I target somewhere around 150 grams a day because I weigh 180 pounds. I could do that in some smaller and do- in some, some bigger doses, but that gets tedious on the digestive system. That is what I've done forever. So I'm trying to evenly split it up. Your muscles don't do well at synthesizing more than like 50 to 60 grams at a time. You'll digest it. It will go towards your organs. It will do its job to keep you alive. It won't necessarily do as well for muscle building. So we should at least keep doses smaller than that. So like with my, you know, binge eating tendencies and one meal a day background it is actually the primary thing I'm working on at the moment from a dietary perspective. Doses of protein evenly spread out throughout my day. Because, at the very least, like, even if you can digest a bunch of protein at one time, it is far from optimal. It take protein gets through your stomach pretty quickly. It takes a while to get through your digestive, the rest of your digestive tract. So, if it is spending all night, if you're spending all night like trying to push 150 grams of protein through your digestive tract, you're not going to sleep very well. So, We're missing easy opportunities to stimulate throughout the day and you're killing your sleep. That makes no sense. So we're trying to like, I'm trying to get a little better at that. We should all like try and do a little more of the like few bolus approaches throughout the day. Now, some of you are just going to need more. Most people I talk to are nowhere near their protein requirement until we really look at it. I think this is one of the biggest values to tracking your food for a minute. I know it's tedious. Some people enjoy it. I don't. Uh, I'm currently doing it right now, because otherwise I'm going to mess up. And if you do it for a week, you'll know where you are. So some people might need to supplement, and especially if you're vegan or vegetarian. I'm not knocking veganism. There are pluses and minuses to every diet. For me, I have to fairly notably watch my saturated fat. Vegans have to make sure they get enough protein. And this is largely because, one... It's a little harder to come by, and plant-based sources are a little less digestible. The amino acids are a little different, and they're often a little less bioavailable due to fiber and other stuff. If you get enough protein, i.e. like a minimum of 100 grams a day, for more muscular people it might be 120 or 150, but if we're getting at least 100 grams per day, then you're going to be fine, especially from a health perspective. Maybe not perfectly athletically, but especially from a health perspective. But the problem is, if we're looking at a lot of vegans, they only get like 50 to 60 grams per day, which will keep you alive, but not exactly healthy or ready to perform athletically. And if we just look at something simple like wheat germ, where you only absorb like 40% of the protein due to like limiting amino acids and high amounts of fiber, yes, I realize it's not a primary source of protein, but... We're going to look at like an extreme end. You only absorb forty percent there, so while it would count from a total protein perspective, it's going to kick in the teeth a little bit. So you're going to need some good amount of soy, which is fine, and some supplementation, which again, fine. I supplement with fish oil because I don't get enough omega threes because I live in a desert. If you're a vegan for whatever reason, great. Just take care of yourself. Now we can also use some BCAAs for protein. Um, Post-exercise, they've shown that like 10 to 15 grams of BCAAs will slightly reduce um, muscle soreness, but probably not more than a protein shake, and it's not going to help with muscle growth, so you might as well just get a protein shake. And then we can also avoid some exhaustion, avoid fatigue, by having some prior, like again, 10 to 15 grams of BCAAs. I don't do any of this, I'm going to tell you. I probably will during my ultra. I'm gonna get some to use during my like big back-to-back weeks near the end, but until then I'm not gonna do any of this. So this is a like very nitpicky solution that you might use during big performance times. Then finally the one thing I have not really mentioned is fat. It doesn't matter all that much timing of fat. You need to get enough at least 20% of your total calories should come from fat. Realistically, probably at least 30. It's really hard to get that low. I've spent time on a 10% fat diet. It was tedious to figure out what you could even eat. It's very little. And unless you're intentionally avoiding fat, eating like nothing but tilapia and vegetables and never adding oil to your food, even morning oatmeal usually has five grams in it. So... The leanest steak you'll eat has some fat in it, so just as long as you don't go extremely out of your way to limit fats, like not buying everything low-fat dressing and cutting everything off, then you're probably going to be okay. Big thing with fat when it comes to timing is not directly before exercise, especially intense exercise. It sits in your stomach, it slows down digestion, it slows gastric emptying, you're not going to get glucose into your bloodstream as quickly. It will cause you problems. If you're moving slowly enough, if you're like walking for a while or you're in this like ladder stage of a race where fat oxidation is increased and you're kind of at a trot because your muscles hurt, then you might even be able to have some like pizza or bacon. If you're very fit, you can probably eat whatever you want during an ultra. That's not me. I'm, I'm not there yet, but maybe once I get fitter. And then I guess the last one would be alcohol. From a performance perspective, just don't. That's what I got. I do occasionally. Um, Sometimes I do more than I really should. Lately, I've been a lot better about that. But from a performance perspective, none is the answer from meal timing on alcohol. So that is what I got when it comes to meal timing or nutrient timing. Again, we're all, like, we're talking big blocks here. Get total amount of calories. Get enough protein. Get enough carbohydrates to fuel your work. Get enough fat to keep you alive. And then we look at these other things. And we can work on these things together. I am currently trying to separate my protein out a little bit and adjust a little bit of like my bedtime food timing so I'm not eating so close to bed. You can try and increase your protein And up your total calories. Those are going to help together, right? Some of these can be stacked. But again, priorities. Total food. Enough of the right kinds of foods. Make sure they're kind of whole foods so you get vitamins and minerals and all sorts of micronutrients. And then timing. So if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Pop them in the comments either now or later. For now, I'm actually going to go cook dinner. And I hope this was helpful. And this will be up as a podcast episode pretty soon. Hope you have a really good rest of your night, and I'll be back next week. See ya. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian, and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information please head to the trail and ultra running nutrition group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.